that our response to to this to the song and what you've done for us lord is this we'd come to you in all lord and, and humbly that you who knew no sin became sin for us god that that we no longer have to work for your love lord but that that we have the righteousness of christ god and we thank you for that god and i pray for the message this morning lord that that chris would speak boldly and that and we would our ears would be open to what you have for us god we thank you for this church and for your son it's in your name i pray amen and would you give the band a hand for a great job today and coaches and players thank you guys for being here today we're so honored to have you as our special guest and good morning to everyone i hope you're doing well if you're watching or listening online thank you for joining us today how many of you have ever been to the grand canyon grand canyon it's not near Dubak, it's in Arizona. I've never been, I've never been to the Grand Canyon. But it is a spectacular place, isn't it? 277 miles long. Think about that, from Marshall, Texas, right over in East Texas to Vicksburg, Mississippi, across the whole, across the whole state of Louisiana is like 215 miles. So that's, that's incredible. It's, it's 18 miles wide at its widest point. And it's a, over a mile deep at its deepest point. The Grand Canyon is deep and wide, isn't it? And it's spectacular. We're in a sermon series titled Deep and Wide. And we're going to look at the cross of Christ today. The cross of Jesus Christ for you and for me. And, and it's deep and it's wide and it's spectacular. It's, there's so much to what happened on the cross and what the cross means. It's very personal for you and me. That we're going to scratch the surface, but I want to tell you, it is deep, wide, and it's spectacular. We're going to be in Ephesians 1. If you have a Bible, if you don't, that's no problem. The scriptures will be on the screen. And so let's, this morning, let's unpack this briefly. What is the cross about? What, what is it about? You hear about the cross, what does that mean? Besides, it's a religious symbol. Most people in the South would know that it is a religious symbol. This happened to a guy named Steve Lee. Steve, raise your hand. Steve is sitting right back over here in the corner. He grew up in South Louisiana. He is a imported North Louisiana. He is a Cajun, a Cooney. And when he was growing up, he, he didn't do real well in school. That doesn't shock you if you know Steve. And I didn't either, so I'm not kicking him. But his parents were really frustrated because he was going to a school and he was doing bad in math. And so they decided to put him in a Catholic school for a little while. He ended up graduating from Hanville High School. But he was in a Catholic school. And the first day there, they, the priest and some nuns were taking him around. And he saw a crucifix. Many of you know what that is. He'd never seen one of those before. He didn't know what it was. And, and so after about four weeks of school... Steve was making straight A's in math. Straight A's in math. His parents couldn't believe it. They came up to the school. They got the priest and the nun together. And they said, what in the world? Is it just the great environment of the Catholic school? Is it the discipline? What's going on? And Steve said, I saw what they did to that boy on the plus sign, and I wasn't going to let them do it to me. <laughs> Some people might be confused about, about the cross. Let me tell you what the cross is about. And, and just briefly today, the first thing it's about, is about horrible suffering. It's about horrible suffering. And everything I'm going to talk about, I want you to remember, it's personal. It's personal for you and me. In Ephesians 1, verse 7, 
It says this, this is our main verse today, in him, in Jesus Christ, that remember you were here six weeks ago, we went through Ephesians 1, the whole key of the passage is about being in Christ and through Christ and with Christ. In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. When you see in the New Testament the word blood, and especially when it's tied into Jesus, that's talking about the cross. That's synonymous with the cross or with his death. That's not talking about Jesus gave blood or, or when somebody got a scratch on their hand. When it talks about the blood with forgiveness in Jesus, it's talking about the cross and his death. And I want to tell you what the cross represented 2,000 years ago. It, it, it represented horrible, horrible suffering. We're going to jump to Mark. Now, hold your place in Ephesians. You don't have to try to go to Mark with me unless you just want to. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John, the four Gospels, the, the biographies of Jesus' life, they tell about the crucifixion. Being crucified was a way, a very well-known horrible but popular way they killed people 2,000 years ago. So these people were well aware of it. And when you got crucified, it was, there was normally, unless it was like in war where they just grabbed a bunch of prisoners and did it, which they did, it was a process. There were things that went through and the process Jesus had to experience was even more involved. We're going to go to Mark 14, verse 65. Here's, leave that there. Here's what happened. Jesus had been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. They had taken him to the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders did not like Jesus' response and so here's what they what happened some began to spit on him and to cover his face basically blindfold him and strike him saying prophesy hey we're going to blindfold you you're the son of God tell us who hit who hit you and then it basically says they hit him repeatedly Jesus got a little extra dose then they take him to the Roman people the Roman governor's Pilate the guy who could say yay or nay on the crucifixion and Pilate is a people pleaser he's a weak leader he gives in and says go ahead and crucify him in Mark 15 15 here's what it says Pilate wishing to satisfy the crowd always terrible leadership released for them Barabbas a known criminal and having Jesus scourged he delivered him to be crucified the word scourged is also the word flogged that's the, the word flogs the word I'm a little bit more familiar with. Again, if you were a prisoner and you were convicted in this time, you'd had to be a slave or a non-Roman citizen, and they were going to crucify you, well, the first thing they would normally do is take you and have you flogged. They didn't always crucify flogged victims, but if you're going to be crucified, that was going to happen. Here's how they flogged you. They would have stripped Jesus, I think, from the waist up. He would have had what, for lack of a better term, like we would think of a swimsuit on. They, would, they took him to a place where the Roman soldiers were, where there was a pole in the ground, and they would have chained him or handcuffed him to the pole in a way that he could not have moved, certainly couldn't have protected himself. And two Roman soldiers called lictors who specialized in this would come out. Now, when I say specialized, this may have been something these guys had done a thousand times. I mean, this is not something that, that they were inexperienced in. They were very experienced in it. They had a whip, like we would think of a whip, but they called it the cat of nine tails because coming off the handle were multiple leather straps. And in those leather straps, they, they tied in there sharpened pieces of bone lead and rock to make it heavier and then they would begin to beat the victim they they had no rules I mean it wasn't like 10 and done or anything like that like my dad would say you're gonna get 10 but then I'd put my hands back there and he'd keep beating me until I moved my hands you know that was the old way of spanking kids they didn't have any rules the Romans called this the halfway death 
because people did die when they were getting flogged. But let's say you weren't scheduled to be crucified. They were just going to flog you. It was a halfway death because you were never going to be the same again physically. I mean, it was going to ruin you physically for the rest of your life. So they start whipping Jesus, and we don't know how long that went on. Josephus, who is a Jewish historian, a little bit after Jesus, talks in one of his works titled Wars about seeing a man being flogged and that you could literally see the bones in his back when they got finished. It ripped open your flesh, certainly muscles. It would have been absolutely horrible. Then they took Jesus to, I'm just going to go through this quickly. And in verse 16 through 20 of Mark chapter 15, they took him to a Roman battalion of soldiers, probably about 200 soldiers. And it says they began to mock him, to hit him, to spit on him. They put a purple robe on him. The cavalry soldiers wore purple and the color purple was the cover, the color of royalty. It says they put a crown of thorns on him. The thorns in that area that may have been used are four to five inches. Can you imagine? They, they fastened that like a crown and stuck it down on his head then after all that it was time to kill him so he would have had to carry the bible tells this story this is what they made the victims do they made you carry what they were going to kill you with to the side of your execution a lot of this is about humiliation so he's carrying the cross beam the, the beam he can't even carry it the whole way because he is so exhausted has to get someone to help him when they got there, the, the cross, the part that we would think of as the vertical pole was probably already laying down and they would have fastened that to the cross beam to that part. And then the Bible says that they nailed him to the cross. How'd they do that? Well, they took five to seven inch wrought iron nails, we would say like a skinny spike, and they probably drove it through right here. We would call it the wrist, but they called it the hand, all part of the hand. They were so good at this, and the Bible said Jesus had no bones broken during this process. They would not break a bone, but undoubtedly hit the median nerve, and the nerves in here, it would have been, can you imagine being nailed to a board? Then they did it with his other hand, and they nailed him to the board. Then they put his feet together. They found several years ago, in excavations, they found in an ancient tomb a person who almost certainly had been crucified, and there was one nail through his heels. So they possibly, what they did is put Jesus' feet together and put a five to seven inch nail and drove it through his heel to tack him to the cross. Can you imagine what that would have been like? It's, it's interesting, the Bible says hardly anything about crucifixion are about flogging for two reasons. One, the people knew what it was. If I was to say there's a baseball game or a golf or a tennis match or a softball game, we wouldn't have to explain that a lot in Ruston. We know what that is. They knew what these things were, but also they didn't go into much detail because how bad they were. Then they would have brought that cross up and set it in place. And they said that it was not uncommon to, for people to dislocate a shoulder or an elbow when the cross was set in place. Probably one of the most painful things I saw in college in football was when a guy dislocated his shoulder in practice. And I'm telling you, that was horrible. I can't imagine that environment. So to breathe at this point, you have to pull yourselves up on your hands that are nailed to a cross, push off with your feet that are nailed to a cross, and your back is a bloody mass of flesh against that wooden cross. 
Several years ago, in a, a Catholic university in Ohio wanted to put an ad on Facebook about some theology classes they were having, and one of them was about the cross. And Facebook said this, we're not going to let you put that ad on Facebook about the cross. It's repulsive. It's too violent. It, it's too horrible. And I want to tell you, the cross is horrible. The cross is violent. The cross is horrible. But there was a real purpose in the cross, and I want to remind you, the cross is about you and me. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, I love this little verse. It says, he is the propitiation. That's a big word to say. Jesus is the sacrifice. He's the one that, the substitute for us, who for our sins, not only for our sins, read that last part with me, but for the sins the, the word world there literally means the sum total of individuals. Now, there's some people that say, well, Jesus didn't die for everybody. Here's what I always want to ask them. Then did he die for you? Well, of course he died for me. He just didn't die for everybody else. That's, that's kind of odd, isn't it? I'm with that one verse, and there's multiple others, defy that. Now, I'm going I'm to say this more in a moment. The death of Christ is not good for you unless you respond to it. But folks, when it says he died for the world, he died for you. Everything we just saw was Jesus, what he did for you and what he did for me. That's super important. But now let's, let's get a little more into this Ephesians verse and see what, what was all this about. The cross is about Jesus paying the price for your sins. Okay, why did Jesus go through that? Was he such a bad guy? No, the Bible says Jesus never sinned. He was sinless. Human, he was God in the flesh, but sinless. He was a man. Jesus did that to pay the price for your sins and for my sins. And I want to I put two practical handles on that this morning. Two things that I think can really help us too. When, he, when we say he paid the price for your sins and my sins, Here's the first thing it does. It's about you having the potential to find total forgiveness. I don't want you to raise your hands, but I hope you'll be honest with yourself this morning. Are you ashamed of some stuff you've done? Is there some stuff in your life that happened last night you wouldn't want your parents or your wife or your husband or your kids to know? How about two years ago? Some of us are going, man, I still have things that haunt me from 20 or 30 years ago. This is an unbelievable passage, what it says about total forgiveness if we respond properly. Look in verse 7 again. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I hope you're taking notes. And, and, and that redemption and forgiveness, they're grammatically, they're very close in the passage, but they, they're hand in glove. They go together. These are very important concepts that go together. To redeem something in the Bible means to deliver it. It means to provide a ransom, to, to pay a ransom in full. Here's some concepts on that. In Jesus and Paul's day, there was as many as 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And, and a slave was a piece of property. It could be bought and sold. But a slave could get freedom if someone would redeem them. They called it paying a ransom. And if you're a slave, you probably can't pay your own ransom. That's, you don't make money. So what you hope for is you hope for somebody who would love you enough and care for you. They would pay a ransom and set you free. You would be free. 
A prisoner 2,000 years ago, they understood this concept. That a prisoner, prisons were different back in this day. And so you're in jail. You might be in jail until you die or unless somebody can pay enough money to get you out. They called that a ransom. So in other words, us poor folks, we'd ride away in jail. But if you had a rich uncle or a parent who liked you, who had money, they could come and pay a ransom and set you free. They understood that, this redeeming. We understand it from, in our day, from like a kidnap victim. There was a movie several years ago called Ransom. That was the name of the movie. Ransom is what you pay to get your kids back. I, I never told this story in church, but about 30 years ago, 20 years ago, my two daughters were kidnapped. And my, my wife was just in panic. The FBI came in and they were in panic. And they said, Chris, you look like you're, you're, this isn't bothering you at all. I said, well, one, it gives us a break for a few days. And I said, listen reject every demand the kidnappers make i'm telling you within one week they will pay us ten thousand dollars to take the kids back we got a call in a, in a week said look these kids are driving us crazy we'll give you ten thousand dollars to take these kids back that's a fictitious story but it could have happened <laughs> sorry alicia but a ransom was to get that kid back that's what the bible says that's what we know in in, in this time and, and listen here's the deal if you're not a Christian this morning, God loves you and you're not any worse person than anybody else in this room, but you're in trouble. You're lost. You're separated from God. John 3, 18 says that he that believeth not stands condemned. And Jesus pops in and says, I will pay the ransom to provide that for you. You need deliverance, whether you know you need deliverance or not. And Jesus said, I will be the deliverer. But he uses the word forgiveness too. Not only will I redeem them, he says, but I will forgive their trespasses. Trespasses is our, the plural there, our multitude of sins. Our multitude of sins. Wow. The word forgive means to send away or dismiss. Look this up when you get home in Leviticus chapter 16. It's a weird way in the Old Testament, something they did. Once a year, they call it the Day of Atonement. That's where the, the high priest sacrificed for the sins of the people what they, they would take a goat they would kill a goat and take the goat's blood and they would put it on the mercy seat at the altar and that was to be the blood of the goat was to, to be the sacrifice for the sins of the people the bible says someone has to pay there has to be a blood sacrifice that's jesus for there be forgiveness then they would take another goat and they would symbolically put the sins of the people on that goat and someone would lead that goat out into the wilderness and it would disappear that was symbolic of god not only forgiving because of the sacrifice of blood but sending your sins and my sins and their sins away it's what that meant see that's what jesus came to do to forgive us to blot out your sins, to send them away. Here's a question I've been asked a ton through the years. Chris, are we going to have to answer for our sins someday? By the way, this is a super important question. And what they mean by that is Christian people who will say, you know, I know I'm a Christian. I've got God's forgiveness. I try to stay right with God. But it just doesn't seem, it doesn't seem right that someday God's not, when I get to heaven, going to go, well, hey, I know that you confess that porno problem you had but I'm going to bring it out you're going to answer for it I know you were not the person the man the woman you should have been for all those years but you sought forgiveness and I forgave you but uh, <laughs> you were going to talk about it for a while thought about that much 
Let me ask you a question. How many of you would like to know that your sins are gone? Psalms 103 verse 12. Listen to what it says. As far as the east is from the west so far has God removed our sins from us. Now that was written 3,000 years ago. They, they, th- their idea of east and west, a lot of them thought the world was flat. I mean, it would have been pretty limited. But listen to this. Now this is a few years old, so th- this could have it changed even in the last few years. They say our visible universe, now this is not like go out tonight, look up in the sky. This is like with the best telescopes there is, is 27.6 billion light years in diameter. 27.6 billion. Light travels at 186,282 miles per second. Did you get that? And in the visible universe, and it may be bigger now than, than, than even than was they, what they knew a few years ago, it would take you roughly 28 billion years traveling at the speed of light to get across from the east to the west. You know what that says to me? When God says, I got rid of your sins from the east and the west, as far as the east is the west, that means they're gone. And here's what that means, man. You come to Jesus and you give your life to him and you follow him. Everything you did before you were saved is gone. It is gone. The sin of unbelief, all your sins are gone. And as a Christian, when you walk with Jesus and you confess your sins and you stay close to him, the blood of Jesus is still good for you today. I want to stand before God someday and him look at my account and go, you know what, it's clean. And it can be. And it can be. I was having lunch with Harvey Patton. I don't know if Harvey's here today, but I see him right back there. And Harvey told me, he said, this is pretty funny. By the way, we almost got rained out in the restaurant we were eating in on Wednesday too. In the restaurant, did you hear me? We almost got rained out in the restaurant. Harvey said, as a Christian, someday I need a sprinkle of the blood. Someday I need a power washing in the blood. Don't you agree with that? We We don't lose our need for God's forgiveness. But man, listen, guys, It says in verse 5, when you come to Christ, he adopts you into his family. Let's see verse 5, Danny. He predestined us. This was his plan for adoption to himself as sons. In the Roman world, their adoption process was serious. It was detailed and involved. When you got formally adopted into a family, your old family's gone. Your old sins are gone. Your old debts are gone. It's all clean. And Jesus says, you come to me because what I did on the cross I paid the price, I paid the redeeming price, I forgive you and your past is gone, your slate is clean, that's good stuff. But here's the second thing, and these go hand in glove, obviously. It's about you having the potential to find salvation. If you're a Christian, you stay with us. Oh, well, I'm already saved. Maybe you are, maybe you're not, but this is still really good. And when he says this, in him we, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Wow. See, on that cross, his purpose for you was to say, they're sinners. He's a sinner. And they can't fix their problem but I can. I will pay the price for their sins, a horrible price for their sins. By the way, I'm going to walk out of the grave. Come in two weeks, we'll get him out, out of the grave. And if they will come to me, I will forgive their sins, I will wipe their slate clean, and I will save their life today and their soul for eternity. Wow. 
what he wants to do for you. It's what he wants to do for me. When that child got adopted that I mentioned a moment ago, not only did everything in the past disappear, but here's another cool thing. Everything their new family had was theirs. Therefore, you wanted to be adopted into a rich family, correct? Because your old sets, sins, debts, gone. Whatever the family had is yours. And see, when you come to Jesus, all the old is gone and everything the Father has is yours. For here and for eternity. And it's easy to go, you know, does this really apply to me, all this? I think it does. I think it applies to the world. I think it applies to you. Dr. Bernard Nathanson was an OBGYN doctor, a woman and baby doctor, in New York City in the 40s and 50s, 60s, 70s. And he was on the front end of the modern-day abortion movement. He talks about when he was a young man, before he was a medical doctor, abortions were illegal, but he got his girlfriend pregnant, and he took her, and she had an abortion. Later, as a doctor, he impregnated his girlfriend. He aborted his own child. But after that, for many years, he began to, as he saw ultrasounds of what was going on during an abortion, became convicted it was wrong. He was not a God follower at all. And so he got out of it, but he could not find peace. Very intellectual, a strong religious background, but not in Christianity. And Charles Colson, Chuck Colson, was a lawyer for Richard Nixon went to prison during the Watergate scandal. You old-timers remember that. And, and, and Chuck Colson got saved in prison. He spent the rest of his life trying to help people come to Jesus. He saw Dr. Nathanson get baptized in New York City as an older man. Listen to this, guys. Dr. Nathanson had admitted he had overseen 75,000 abortions. And Chuck Colson said, I watched as that man repented of his sins and asked God to forgive him and was baptized into the body of Christ. And some of you are going, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't think that can happen. First of all, you and I don't write the rules. Secondly, what's better about your sin? I mean, is like God okay with lying? <laughs> You know, in Proverbs, God says the seven things he hates, lying is one of them. Do you know that? I mean, I would never have an abortion, but I, you know, I slander people. I'm a gossip. No, see, we don't get to pick which sins God forgives because when he went to the cross, he said, I'm going to forgive them all. And what Jesus did on the cross was good for Dr. Nathanson. It's good for you no matter what's in your past, no matter what's in your present. Because that's what the cross is about. I want to show you a video, Danny. Before you kick it in, let me give a little background. This happened earlier this year in Belton, Texas, down in the Austin area. A rodeo. 
you're going to see a young cowboy and just within a minute or oh, not a minute a few seconds the, whole, the, the bull is going to hit his head and by the way no matter how hard-headed you are if a bull hits your head you're going to lose and he's knocked unconscious and I'll let you watch what happens Finally, the strength of a father's love. This was at the rodeo in Belton between Austin and Waco. The bull rider, as you can see there, is bucked off and lying unconscious on the ground. That's when his father jumped in to shield his son from the bull. He even took a direct hit to protect his son. The rider, Cody Hooks, posted this video on Instagram thanking his dad and the bullfighter saying things could have been much worse. A perfect example right there of parental instincts. I was just going to say, instinct just kicks right in. Mm -hmm. yeah. the, the boy was 18, a young man, and he said after he saw the video that his dad saved his life because you saw the bull came back and was going to hit him in the neck and the head area. His dad was sitting on the fence. And when he saw that his son was unconscious and helpless and the, the, the clowns were having a really hard time getting that bull out of the way, he jumped in. You saw he, go watch it on YouTube again. I've seen it 800 times this week. It still pulls on your heart. He covered his son's neck and head with his neck and head and his body with his body. I mean, he could have been killed. And they asked him about it later, and he said, I would do anything I had to do to save any of my kids. I'm betting 2,000 years ago that conversation went on in heaven. And Jesus looked at us as helpless and hopeless. We didn't know we were helpless. And when you're knocked out, you don't know you're hopeless. <laughs> and we don't know we're in trouble. We don't know we're in trouble with God. But Jesus said, I'm willing to do anything I have to do to save my kids. That's what the cross is about. Here's what I want us to do in the next few minutes. I want us to respond. I want to start with you if you're a Christian. Maybe where you're standing, maybe to come to the altar and get on your knees and just, hey, spend a moment and thank God for saving you. When was the last time you paused if you're a Christ follower and said, Jesus, thank you for what you did to save me. Thank you for what you did to save me. Maybe as a Christian, it's time to repent. I mean, the bottom line is many of us live so, so half-heartedly when Jesus, for what he did for us, man, come back to Christ. Maybe you'd like to join our church. We can help you do that after church. Maybe you want to come when we stand and join. We're a church that's going to proudly talk about the death and the, the resurrection of Christ and the grace of God for all of us. Join us today. If you're not a Christian or you're unsure, if you're watching online, stay with us. I want to help you in a moment. I'll help you here in this room to pray, to give your life to Christ. We'll talk to you after church, or you can come when we stand and talk to a minister. Listen, for what everything Jesus did, do I really need to hard sell this morning how much he loves you and why he's worthy of your life? Let's stand. Let's respond to him today. Savior say thy strength indeed is small child of weakness watch and pray find in me thy 
Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow heads with me as will continues to play as a christian today again man maybe it's a time to come back and re-embrace jesus fully as your lord maybe maybe again just to spend some time right now and throughout the week thanking him for what he did for you on the cross if you're not a Christian or you're unsure, but you, you really are ready to embrace this Jesus as your Lord and Savior, pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. And Jesus, I accept that you're God's son and that you died for me and arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart. And I give my life to you. I give my life to you.